Blog Talk Radio. on my own, uh, but uh, based upon you, our listeners, and of course those who follow Procurement Insights blog, you've indicated that these are key areas upon which you want the answers to. And so what we've done since January, again, is bring in uh, industry thought leaders, as indicated, to ask them these three questions, to get into a discussion as to what this means or what, what, where the industry is headed in 2015 and the foundational way for going forward. Now, joining me today is uh, Unimarket CEO Peter Kane. Now, Unimarket, for those who are not familiar with the organization, uh, we identified them as a new wave company back in 2014. And uh, the new wave program is really designed to identify those companies, those organizations, who are on the cusp or, or near to the point of having a major breakthrough. Now, some of these companies, you know, are brand new, and they've just launched and, and kicked off. Others, ironically, have been around for 20 years and have been able to persevere to the point of where the market has caught up with them. So, again, Unimarket is one of those companies that sort of falls somewhere in the middle because they are making serious inroads. And there is a major shakeup going, especially in their, I guess you would call their focus or target market, which is higher education. So I'm going to be welcoming uh, Peter uh, Kane shortly. Just give me a quick minute and we'll bring him online. In the meantime, I want to remind everybody that we're broadcasting to you live through our studios in New York City. That means, of course, that if you're here and you're joining us, that's great news. Glad to have you. However, the entire segment is being pre-recorded, which means if it isn't conducive to your schedule to tune in right at this particular moment, not to worry about it, because the entire show will be available to you on an on-demand basis. This, uh, of course, is one of the great, great features of Internet radio, and in particular, Blog Talk Radio. Now, without further delay, let's welcome to the show Peter Cade, who's joining us from... Uh, Nashville, I believe, Peter, but your your home base is in New Zealand, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I live in Wellington uh, in New Zealand, and, and we're um, we're based both in New Zealand and in uh, the U.S. Our office over here is in uh, Annapolis, Maryland. Um, and so, yeah, I'm in Nashville attending the uh, NACUBO uh, conference, which is a higher ed- education yeah, you, I've focus. Got you, I've got to tell you one of the interesting things, because you are, with, with some recent wins, establishing a very strong presence in the North American marketplace, but your origins do go to New Zealand, correct? I mean, if you could, for those That's who fine. may not be familiar with Unimarket, if you could just take a quick minute or so just to give us some historic perspective on how this company evolved and how you've come to being in North America, and, and literally... Uh, again, uh, gaining a pretty solid foothold in, 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 in particular in the United States. Yeah, um, uh, that's a good question, John, and uh, be, be really happy to do so. Um, and in fact, that sets the scene quite well. Um, so, so Unimarket was actually founded by a gentleman called Scott Blackwood, who is um, uh, still on our board. Um, 
and uh, he was a subject matter expert in supply chain, working in the U.S. Actually, he's a Kiwi, but working in the U.S. Um, in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, and uh, was working with a lot of multinational companies and seeing a lot of challenges they were facing with the technology at the time. And um, uh, and so came back to New Zealand, got together with a, a buddy of his from uh, university days um, who was a, a programmer, and basically designed and built something that Scott saw as... Um, as um, dealing with some of those challenges in a much more easier way and scalable uh, way using uh, newer technology. So we then started, and we always had an eye on the, um, well, Scott always had an eye on, back on the US market, and we started in New Zealand in uh, 2005, uh, and our early customers uh, in New Zealand happened to be universities. And part of the reason why universities was seen as a really good testing ground for the technology is that they, uh, a lot of it was about bringing, um, you know, consumer-based Amazon-style technology into the workplace to make the workplace much more efficient. And uh, universities buy a plethora of, um, uh, of things, products and services from um, all sorts of places and all sorts of suppliers. Uh, they have typically a very decentralized uh, sort of model uh, a lot of fiefdoms, pe uh, things don't happen by um, by mandate typically, they happen by collaboration. And uh, so it was a perfect sort of um, proving ground for uh, for the technology. Um, and so fairly quickly afterwards, we, uh, we, we established a reasonable sort of foothold in the higher education market in New Zealand, which is relatively small as a small uh, market. Um, and then came over to the U.S. in uh, early 2008. So we've been here now for for, for just going on seven uh, years. So we have been uh, around a little while, um, and have built, built up a, a, a pretty good base uh, now of customers in the uh, in the U.S. and higher education. And, we, and as you said, we're we're solely focused in higher education. It's a very big uh, market. There's lots and lots of um, potential with. 4,000 odd um, universities and community colleges, still a relatively low penetration rate of this sort of technology, and um, and some of the more traditional providers that were there before um, being challenged somewhat in terms of their business model, um, how their business model operates, and um, and the value that provides to that um, to that marketplace. Well, you see, you know what's interesting, because when I look at this, and, and, and it, it brings up in mind the first question, the emergence of e-commerce and the mobile supply chain, sometimes about m-commerce. But two things come to mind when I'm listening to you in this, and this maybe is the segue into that second question. We'll get to the first question about uh, Hanfield's comment about the definitive uh, break between the older and newer generations of professionals. But if you look at where you are now, uh, obviously five years ago, ten years ago, uh, especially in an enterprise-minded world. Uh, the the idea of a solution such as what Unimarket had it was, was traditionally viewed as a bolt-on, certainly not an anchor or, or foundation for, for a procurement practice going forward. So if I look at this in adapting, and not even looking at the fact that you started in New Zealand, but uh, at the way in which the market is recognizing the fact that small, more nimble, more technologically innovative organizations uh, are outside of the SAPs and oracles of the world. I, how much has that helped? And then on the other side of this question, and in line with a, a post about uh, the, 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 the uh, 
Procurement Insights post about why an Oracle, for example, would want to buy SideQuest. When we look at the traditional ERP solutions from a NASPO report that was referenced in that article, it found that many of the old ERP solutions now are, are, are antiquated and, and up for renewal. And a key part of the survey with NASPO, uh, which is uh, the, the CPOs of all the states, is that they are looking for e-procurement efficiencies within those realms. So that opens the door as well. So is it a combination for, for Unimarket? And part of the reason you're able to penetrate that is that there's a new mindset or a view about the type of solution you have not being a bolt-on and the fact that organizations now are coming up, many of the states are now coming up, for example, for renewal, and certainly education or higher education is a key part of that, uh, and, and e-procurement is such a focal point. I mean, how do those two factors come together to make it great timing for you now? Yeah, yeah. well, there's a couple of things there, John. I think, firstly, going back to this bolt-on um, uh, aspect, um, probably five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, um, the market uh, appreciation of the ability to integrate and how easy it was to integrate or difficult um, was quite different to what it is today. And certainly with, um, with Unimarket, right from the outset, we developed our own proprietary middleware so that not only was the technology um, simple, easy to use, but the method of that being integrated into the uh, legacy systems and uh, finance systems uh, was also easy and, um, and low risk. And I think that's part of what has been a challenge and concern for organizations as they transition to newer based technologies. And I think there's a general acceptance that cloud-based uh, solutions are the way of the future from a risk management standpoint. Um, uh, and, and flexibility and cost-effectiveness uh, aspect, um, but for quite some time there was this um, quite significant challenge of, okay, there's these new solutions, but how do they bolt into our existing legacy, and is that a difficult process? And, and there's a lot of you know case studies in terms of how it has been difficult, and that uh, was something that was perhaps a limiting factor uh, for some time. But I think now the ability to integrate plug and play is uh, a lot more than it um, than it used to be uh, right to the point where what might have been seen as bolt on best of breed in a particular um, uh, vertical or a particular point solution uh, is now seen as um, actually we want our core systems to be uh, based on that um, cloud-based flexible model um, and then we'll do the uh, integration piece into our more legacy systems where it is more of a challenge to try and make any change. So rather than trying to change our legacy systems, let's focus on um, getting more value from the add-ons that we can integrate. So in essence, so so, and again, you know, and, and when you use the term bolt-on, again, I've always looked at bolt-on solutions or reference to being a bolt-on as being a, a derogative or a negative term. But in reality now, you know, you're really not considered, based upon what you just said, you're not really a bolt-on solution, especially given the priority that is given to e-procurement as being part of an, a, a, an overall sound platform. I mean, what would be the what would be the best word to replace the term bolt-on? Um, 
Well, it's actually front-end is probably a, a better term to use because that's actually reflecting the dynamic that's away from um, mainframe core systems um, ERPs to focusing on who's the end user, uh, what sort of experience do they need to be able to um, undertake their job in the most efficient way, and therefore more of that interface point from, for the end user um, are these cloud-based solutions that, um, uh, you, you know, it's, all you need is a web browser. So whether that's your mobile phone or whether it's your iPad or your laptop, um, whatever, it's easily accessible, easy to use. So in bringing uh, what we've seen in terms of the development of consumer-based um, technologies into the workplace, all right, but, 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 but all right. So, so here's the thing: that is it safe to conclude and say that, and and part of this 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 transformation of perception occurred because over the last couple of years, the vast majority of e-procurement initiatives that are ERP based, the vast majority failed to achieve the expected results. We know that 80 to 90 percent. Is it the fact that now that truth is out, that the gorilla in the room or the elf in the room has been recognized, the emperor, as they say, has no clothes, is, is now known? It, have, do you find it now that it's more uh, the people with whom you're dealing with uh, in, in, in the public sector, because that's where you, you're, you're, you're mostly focused, are they more apt to consider and look at it in terms of the front-end system outside of the framework uh, or, or cover the ERP back-end? Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes, and, and I think that's exactly right, John. Um, primarily, and certainly in higher education, which, which would not necessarily be seen as a sector that would be at the front end of uh, use of technology, so it certainly um, happened quicker in, in some other um, sectors and verticals. But, but I think those um, uh, stories and that recognition that um, ERP-based um, e-procurement initiatives um, you know, have some serious uh, drawbacks, and, and I think what where the recognition is is that value is driven by adoption, and adoption is driven by ease of use. And um, so, having more complex uh, ERP systems that a aren't in, easy to integrate with your suppliers, and therefore don't give you a good experience on the supply side and also aren't necessarily easy to use for your end users, means you struggle to get adoption at both ends of the supply chain from the person who's doing the purchasing and also from the organization you're trying to purchase from. Um, so, so it's that recognition that ease of use drives adoption, drives value, um, is where solutions such as Unimarket, I think, um, provide uh, a much more flexible, nimble solution. All right, now here's the interesting perspective. Recognizing what you just said and looking at SAP buying Ariba, you're looking at the rumors swirling around of uh, Oracle looking at a SideQuest, et cetera, partly driven by the fact that, again, unlike any other time, the ERP, core ERP solutions market is up in the air with, with systems that have been implemented since the late 90s, early 2000s where the realization is is upgrading those solutions uh, costs as much in, in cycles and time as it would uh, making a switchover, we're finding more and more ERP players going after the strategic players like a Unimarket. I mean, what's that say for Unimarket? What do you think about that overall strategy? What happens if an Oracle buys a, a SciQuest? 
How does that change your approach? Because let's face it, higher education has always marched to a different drum. Uh, and, and, uh, and I'm referring back to the days, for example, going back to 2004 in North Carolina, where they had the Arebatcher service. Uh, the, the state uh, made an agreement with the higher education uh, institutions or an MOU, Memorandum of Understanding, saying you could use whatever technology you need as long as we share data. And from that data, we decide what ultimately becomes the best purchasing. So higher education has always seemed to be uh, marching to a drum to himself. With getting a competitive edge within higher education, uh, obviously by having the right solution provider means an ERP player can ultimately get, a, I, get a, I would imagine, an advantage would be the word I would use, to landing or switching over somebody from an existing ERP implementation. Does that mean that organizations such as yours or a SciQuest who's been around but have had their problems, uh, does that mean that it, it, you become takeover targets? And, and how does that affect? Your, your your strategy going forward. Number one, if you're not if you're not acquired, or number two, if you are. Do you know what I'm saying, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple of points uh, I'd like to make there. Firstly, if you look at the SAP Ariba um, acquisition, that's a very massive company buying another already quite big um, company. It might be perceived. Uh, generally in the market, but it's buying a more um, advanced, nimble organization. But actually, Ariba isn't necessarily like that. It's a bit more like SAP in some ways, certainly in, in terms of how organizations such as ourselves view them. So, so, so we tend to view uh, an Ariba and, and SciQuest to some extent as being slightly older technology, um, less easy to use, uh, more more complex. But, but I can see how organizations such as SAPs and Oracles are looking to um, get a, get a foothold and um, in, in what's emerging very much in terms of marketplace and the sort of technology. I think the challenge for them um, is being able to identify um, organizations and the time at which it takes them to identify organizations and the sort of targets that they're looking for in terms of size because they're already looking for organizations that have a certain amount of size. I actually think they should be looking probably at much smaller, uh, more nimble acquisitions um, with uh, with even newer technologies. Uh, and the challenge for them is how do they even know about those um, organizations? And, you know, they probably look to things like um, Gartner Magic Quadrants and so forth as to up-and-comers. But even if you look at Gartner Magic Quadrants, they also tend to um, look at players who are newer but uh, in in terms of companies like Unimarket, we would say they are actually slightly older. When I look at some of the um, uh, Gartner um, sort of uh, coverage of some of these companies like Ariba and like Cyquest, uh, for example, uh, as you use those names, um, and the reviews and the sort of um, ratings that they get, you know, would be different than my own perceptions of um, of, of those organisations. Okay, wait, this is an interesting point you're making, because I've always looked at Gardner as of late, well, for a while, actually, and, and, and Aberdeen's as, as being pay-to-play type of coverage, more reflective of the way in which the old media works. But if you, if, if you, if you look at, for example, the, the, the reference that you make, and they go to the Gardners to do that, I mean, inherently, when, when, when SAP acquired Ariba, uh, it was almost a like-for-like -like acquisition. What I mean by it is there was a familiarity with it, 
Uh, Ariba didn't exactly represent the newest, latest, and greatest technology, which you indicated is a key factor. So ultimately, uh, would you say that the Oracle, or and there's been some rumors of IBM wanting to buy SciQuest and other companies, are, would you say that that the inherent problem is is that SciQuest, while maybe a little different from a, from an Ariba, is still falling into that trap of the old and familiar Gartner Magic Quadrant, which sort of moves in a limited circle, while still not taking or or or, or, or including the really innovative providers. You, do you know what I'm saying? It, 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 yeah. It's almost as if what's happening is they know what they have to do, but because they don't have reliable sources of information through the traditional journalists, the analysts, uh, the bloggers, etc., what ultimately ends up happening is companies such as a Unimarket, for example, or a Scout, or somebody along those lines, ultimately may be overlooked. I mean, yeah. is that a good way of saying it? Yeah, sort of. But uh, and in some ways, I mean, for us, that's uh, that's not a bad thing. I don't mind being overlooked because you know, you know, our focus is quite clearly on the market and our customers and what's driving the changes within the universities, uh, as opposed to thinking about, oh, what's our own financial situation. I actually feel a little bit sorry for Cyclist uh, at the moment for on a couple of fronts. One is clearly some pressure. Uh, from the market in terms of a need to examine their own uh, business models, and certainly we're challenging them from a, from a business model um, perspective. But also in the um, in the desire to grow more quickly and therefore get capital, um, the floated that um, brings on a certain amount of uh, demands in terms of uh, short-term focus around financials and reporting. Uh, and also, if the market's not going so well, it makes you vulnerable. Uh, and I think that's the situation that's probably there at the moment for for a cyclist um, that they've um, uh, obviously had some challenges. They've got some share price challenges, and that typically then makes them potentially a target um, for uh, for attention from um, from others. And 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 while that's happening. Uh, they're typically distracted, um, not necessarily focused on their customers. And if they are focused on their customers, they're probably thinking about these acquisition situations and then they're thinking of their customers as the value to them as opposed to the other way around, as to the value they're providing to the, to the customer. Right. All right. So, all right. But, okay. So, let, let me ask you this then. In, 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 in this whole picture of what we're talking about, um, See, this is an interesting perspective because, you know, again, if you want to get to the innovative companies, you're making inroads and landing contracts. Are these going to cause you to get better noticed? Are these going to cause you to get on their radar screen? Or do you, what, what's the level of traction you have to gain to get noticed by as, as a bona fide in uh, or, or a potential advantage for an ERP vendor, for example, looking to take advantage of this, this seminal market shift? Yeah, well, um, uh, I mean, the interesting thing uh, from from ERP players um, is, is the question for them. Uh, I think the old world way of thinking is uh, for them to acquire something and for them to want to have ownership of everything that they're delivering in terms of their customers. And I think future models, and and we're not there yet, but I think future models will potentially be more about uh, relationships and alliances. 
Um, so for SAP, for example, you know, they've acquired Ariba, which to some extent makes them a bit tied to one provider. Um, and in actual fact, even now, after many years following that acquisition, Ariba are still no more integrated with SAP than other, um, uh, you know, B2B um, procurement players are. So um, I was talking to a, a head of procurement for a very large organisation in New Zealand, it's actually a global organisation in the primary industry uh, market, and she was actually lamenting the fact that when they looked, and, and they're an SAP shop, uh, so when they looked at Ariba, they said, Jeepers, this is actually no more integrated than what others are. So, you know, why wouldn't we look to other solutions that are actually more flexible, um, flexible and nimble? So, so I think potentially for ERP players, um, I'm not sure why they wouldn't want to have um, many more strategic relationships rather than acquisition. However, that brings its own complexity. Okay, but, okay but, but, but here's an interesting point, because uh, IBM, for example, uh, I interviewed Pete Wharton, who talked about IBM wanting to build a, a, an ecosystem of strategic partnerships shortly after they, they formed an alliance with J.D. Edwards. And they're saying, we're not in acquisition mode, we're in partnership acquisition mode. We're not looking to buy companies, but team up with companies, which seems to be what you're talking about. But here's the other side of that, that question, is that let's say you are... Uh, Again, a, a large ERP player, you're looking to, to take advantage of this market shift, which is going to affect the landscape for the next 10 years. Higher education, again, is a key entry point. You have a partnership with somebody like a Unimarket. I'll use your company as an example. But it's a partnership, it's an alliance, and it's a non-exclusive alliance, which means you can work with any other ERP player. What happens if you're the competitive in? If you're the ERP uh, player or, or the company, you're not going to want to necessarily have that organization be able to team up with a competitor because doesn't that put you at a more advantageous position in terms of uh, of, of controlling the relationship, for lack of a better word? Do, do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Think, yeah, I think that is uh, I think that is part of the dynamic and, and part of the challenge. Um, and uh, I guess the ERP providers like to think of um, you know customer ownership, um, and, and I think maybe that context. Uh, going to change somewhat uh, over time, but 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 yeah, that is a a risk to the extent that um, uh, that the you know the more nimble, um, flexible, um, and easier to do business with uh, you know probably companies such as Unimarket. That's clearly one of the things that we try to focus on is not a, not only the simplicity and, and and ease of the technology, but also that from a how did, how customers do business with us as well. Um, then potentially does mean that the relationship is ceded somewhat to the organisation that um, that is at the front end of uh, of that. So I do see that as a challenge. All right, but now and now here's another side because it, it, there is a two-edged sword. Obviously, partnerships are good, uh, or strategic partnerships are good without acquisition of companies because you don't end up being assimilated into an organisation. I mean, Oracle assimilates. Uh, in, in, in terms of that, though, what happens if a company does get acquired? How do you maintain your your, your unique personality that created the competitive advantage in the first place? It, you know, I, it, historically speaking, the majority of mergers and acquisitions fail and fail miserably to achieve the desired outcomes. 
A lot of yep. that is because the very innovation that it made made a company an attractive takeover target is oftentimes lost in 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 in, in the culture of the larger enterprise. So I mean, is, yep. is 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 that a determining factor on that regard? Does that counterbalance to a certain degree the risk factor? Yeah, yeah, um, I, you're totally right. Um, uh, I mean, there's been lots of studies in terms of. Um, you know, in actual fact, it's more often than not that, that acquisitions lead to a decrease in value than an increase in value. Um, so, so I think that is a key uh, a key point. And I, I think where that lies both for the acquirer and, and the organization being acquired is really having um, a solid understanding of exactly where the value is in that company uh, and what the and what's at the core of of that value, and I think a lot of acquiring companies think it in terms of, oh, okay, well, we're, buy, we're, we're buying technology, and that's the value that we're buying, and we're going to assimilate that in, and, we, and we've already got um, a wide customer base and a sales force and a distribution network, so all we need to do is get this new technology, assimilate it in, integrate it within our own solutions, and then push it out to our uh, to our customer base and broaden that customer base, and that potentially ignores the fact that what is it that makes those smaller companies so successful isn't necessarily just about the technology. Um, so, so I think that is a key point. So, for anybody making acquisitions in this sort of space, I think they have to really carefully look at what really is the value that they're buying and how do they preserve that value. And, and is there a shared understanding between acquirer and organization being acquired as to how they're going to integrate, assimilate, and retain that value? What's interesting in all this, and of course there's, this is one of the big questions out of the three, the other ones being the difference between public and private sector, and again, as alluded to earlier, the, the definite and definitive break between older and past generation procurement. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we're going to have to have you back to get those thoughts on that, obviously. But this is such a timely, timely story simply because of what's happening in the marketplace and how things are coming at a crossroads. Unimarket has, has been innovative. You've had inroads that you've made in the North American marketplace. We've talked about the, the, the pros and cons of acquisition. But from your perspective as a company, an innovative organization, uh, for example, if an Oracle acquires a SideQuest, and despite SideQuest problems, uh, if they were to acquire that, uh, and Unimarket remains a, a free agent on there, does that close the door or limit possibilities for your organization? In other words, are higher education institutions, are public sectors, are states more inclined to push a little bit from the shore and then quickly swim back uh, so they go to their comfort zone and say, okay, now we can get everything we need within the familiar. I mean, do, what I'm saying, I yeah. guess, Peter, is is that do these acquisitions ultimately uh, stunt the, the, the engagement of the innovators, such as companies like yours, and does that then make it imperative for you, uh, taking account both the risk and, 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 and the reward, make an imperative view to, for you to grow in the future, become part of a larger enterprise. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. And certainly I don't see that as a, a limiting factor for us at all uh, in, the, in the short term. And, and if I look at just higher education, because that just happens to be where we focus right now in the US, um, you know, that market is currently, you know, 
calling out for credible alternatives to a cyclist. I mean, cyclists had the market for it to itself for, for several years, um, and it had a business model that was um, maybe relevant at the time, less so now. Um, and and they're finding change difficulty in terms of changing that um, that business model. So so the question I would ask is whether um, uh, the customers in higher education think that um, Cyquest being owned by Oracle will actually improve the value that they're getting, will improve the the nimbleness and their ability to be responsive. And I'm not sure it would, uh, in actual fact. So um, so I don't think that would change the dynamics from a market standpoint for a uni market or other players that, that, that operate in that uh, market. And, and as I said earlier, you know, um, I would see that as a great distraction for um, Cyquest for, um, for, for, for some time. All right. Well, listen, Peter right. Kane, we've got we, we we've gone a little bit over time here, uh, and and I appreciate you sticking around and taking the time. Uh, we will have to have you back to touch on those other questions, but your insights and perspectives are quite interesting because, again, uh, back in 2014 we identified you as as a new wave company to watch. You certainly haven't disappointed in terms of the inroads you've made in in, in, in certainly in the North American, in particular, higher education in the U.S. So we'll be watching the market unfold uh, closely as well as watching your organization develop. But but I want to thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure, John. Uh, and I look forward to um, uh, coming back again sometime and to um, you know, watching progress with your uh, blog in the meantime. Great. Thank you, Peter. And, of course, to you, the listener, thank you for tuning in and, and sharing what is your most important asset, which is your time. I want to remind everyone again that this program is, has, or is, I guess, whatever way we put it, has been recorded in its entirety, which means if you've missed us on this uh, initial live broadcast, not a problem because you can tune in at your convenience. Have a good week. Bye for now.